Good morning. A warm welcome to the service today. Let us now uh, worship God. Let's bow our heads. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for we thank you for this your day. Uh, we thank you for your word uh, that we have sang. We thank you that we can take the, the inspired words of uh, the psalmist and proclaim uh, with our own lips how excellent uh, in all the earth is your name. And we thank you for uh, your excellence. We thank you uh, that you are the God uh, who is with us. We thank you that you are the God who, who reveals yourself to us. And uh, we praise you that in the creation that we are surrounded by, the creation that we are, that we are part of, you, you speak to us through that creation. We thank you that you are the God who, who has put the starry frame uh, into existence. And as we look up on a clear night, we Thank you that you speak to us, even through the stars uh, of your glory and of your majesty. We thank you that you are the God uh, in whom there is life and from whom all life flows. We thank you that everything that we have sung of, the, the universe and uh, the fowls of the air and the fish of the sea, the sheep and the oxen, down to the, the strength of every infant uh, that we see around us and we give thanks for, we thank you that all strength, all power, all life uh, flows from you. You're the God who has made all things. You're the God who, who holds all things together. You're the God uh, who is glorious, the God who is almighty. You're the God who is holy and pure and all-powerful. And yet we praise you that you're the God who is gentle and kind and good and gracious and loving towards us. We thank you that as we open your word uh, you speak to us of, of your great love for us. The whole of the Bible is an expression uh, of your, your loving kindness towards us. You didn't have to reveal yourself to us. You did not have to seek and save sinners. But we thank you, Father, that you have determined to do so. We thank you that you, in love, spoke to us in the Word and sent your Son, the Word made flesh, into this world to, to seek and to save sinners. And we thank you that as we believe in him, we are promised that our sins are forgiven and we are brought into relationship with the God who is almighty and yet the God whom we can call our friend, our helper, our saviour. We pray for any who, who might be here today who, who don't yet know you. Pray for any who, who may be here and who uh, feel far away from you. We ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would reach out to them and that they would know as they hear the the words of Scripture, and that they would know as they, they sense the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in this place that you are seeking them. We thank you that when we see our sin and when we see the cross of Jesus, uh, you are choosing to reveal that to us. You are calling us to come to yourself. And so we pray, Lord, that you would draw us, that there would be none who would walk out the door this morning uh, having resisted the, the, the voice of God. We pray that even in this day, there may be someone who comes for the first time to, to trust in Jesus. So we pray that there may be someone who has been far away for a long time and who comes back to Jesus, knowing that you will never push away those who return to you. We thank you that you are the God who loves to, to see the prodigal return. You are the Father who scans the horizon for those who once were close but who, who drifted far away. We thank you that the call is a call to return. 
So, Lord, minister to us, we pray, in our need, and help us to have ears to hear the call of God in the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that in this country we are still able to hear that call. We thank you that we are able to say freely that the name of Jesus is the name that is above all names. It is the excellent name. We pray for places where uh, that freedom is not enjoyed. We pray for the persecuted church. We pray for brothers and sisters in places like Pakistan and North Korea and Eritrea and India. Uh, we pray for Christians who, who struggle in places like Turkey today. We will soon open a letter that Peter wrote to believers who were scattered in, in Turkey. And we know that still today uh, the gospel message is, is a message that is despised in that place. We ask, Lord, that you would move in the power of your Spirit uh, in this place and this nation and across all nations that many more uh, would be called to look in faith to Jesus. And we pray for your ongoing protection over us that we would still continue to to know freedom, uh, to meet together as we do. And to that end, Lord, we pray for those that you have placed in authority over us, those who have the power to make these decisions. We ask, Lord, that you would turn them uh, to yourself. And we think especially this week of King Charles, uh, we pray in advance of the coronation, uh, that you would move in his heart, that the message of the Bible that he's heard over many years would be a message that penetrates the heart and makes a difference uh, in his life and in his soul. Uh, so hear our prayers for our nation. Hear our prayers for uh, ourselves, for each other. Uh, for those, Lord, who, who struggle. Uh, we all struggle with different things. You know our hearts. You know our anxieties. Uh, for those who are anxious, Lord, uh, about the future. For those who uh, may be troubled by uh, the, the trials of this world, we pray uh, that you would minister to them. We thank you that when we look ahead at a week and we see things that that cause us fear, things that we cannot see how to navigate our way through. We thank you that what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so we take all our cares and our anxieties and our problems and we bring them to you. We pray for those who are grieving. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort them. We pray for those who are sick. We pray that your hand of healing uh, or your hand of grace would be upon them. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with all those who are struggling and in, in all kinds of ways, those who battle with anxiety, with addiction, uh, with depression. Uh, Lord, you know our needs, and we thank you that you are sufficient for all of our needs. So we pray to you and ask that you would help us and all those that come to our minds, uh, that you would minister to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. So hear our prayers, take away our sin, and go before us in this service, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's pray and let's thank God for his word and let's thank God for his son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that although everything uh, around us and uh, we ourselves in our bodies, we pass away. We thank you that your word never passes away. We thank you that there's never a time, there's never a place, there's never a generation, there's never a group of people uh, to whom your word uh, does not speak. So help us to listen. And we pray that you would open our hearts, that your word would go into our hearts, that we would see and hear and we would believe in Jesus, that our sins would be taken away. And Lord, that you would uh, help us to, to know the life uh, that comes from believing in, in Jesus. So we pray all these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. If we could turn in our Bibles now, please, to First Peter chapter 2. 
and we'll read from verse 9 through to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. But you, says Peter to the Christians in modern-day Turkey, as we know it, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not the people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. If you could turn back in your Bibles, please, to First Peter chapter 2. And as we... Look at the section, let's ask uh, for God's help again in prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you that it, it converts uh, the soul in sin that lies. And we pray uh, that if there are those whose souls are still uh, lying in sin today, that you would convict and that you would convert. We thank you that your word is, uh, is sure, it's steadfast, it's reliable, and it uh, brings wisdom to, to us and our simplicity and uh, our foolishness when we turn away from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak uh, that wisdom into our hearts, that you would uh, speak your purity and your truth and your salvation uh, into our lives. Uh, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as we uh, study your word. And we ask that you would change us, uh, that we may uh, become more like Jesus as we bow in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could... Uh, have the verses in front of you, First Peter chapter 2, uh, that would be helpful. We're picking up from where we left off uh, last Sunday morning. And uh, for those who, who weren't the here, uh, then just to put this in context, First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2 is part of a letter uh, that's written by Peter, the disciple to, to believers uh, in various places. Um, it's what we now know as uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, Peter writes to real people at a real time in a real 
place, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, he's writing to them and he's writing to us about who we are and uh, how we're to live. Uh, There are only two types of people in this world, ultimately. There are those who are Christians and there are those who are not Christians. Uh, There are those who have received mercy and those who have not yet received mercy. There are those who are uh, in darkness uh, and those who, who are in the light. And Peter is writing to those who are in the light, those who have received mercy, uh, those who are Christians, those uh, who are in Christ. And he's writing uh, to tell them and to tell us uh, how we're to live if we are in Christ. And Peter, in the section that we've read, uh, he begins with encouragement. And we we majored on this uh, last Sunday uh, in verses 9 and 10. Peter says to these believers, uh, you are a chosen people. God has chosen you. You're a royal priesthood, uh, you're a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, he says, you were lost, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you, you have received mercy. And Peter, in these verses, he's, he's giving these believers such great encouragement. And I don't want to go back over this or we'll have uh, a sermon that's far too long. But I don't want to pass this by either. uh, Because we need to keep returning to these texts uh, so we remember who we are in Christ. So we rejoice in the fact that that, that we are Christians. We need encouragement. I mean, why is it that a hundred odd people uh, stood at the the side of the, the football pitch down the road on a freezing cold Friday night? It's because the team that we're supporting, Harris, they need encouragement. So you stand at the side, you make a noise, because we need encouragement. And in the Christian life, uh, we need encouragement. That's a huge part of the reason that we're here this morning. Don't get out of the habit of meeting together, we're told, but encourage each other. So the fact that you're here and not on the end of of a screen, you've chosen to be here rather than stay at home. There are those who who have to be at home and we pray for them and we give thanks for the fact uh, that there are those who we can't see who are watching. Uh, But the fact that you've come here physically and we're sitting uh, beside each other in this place, that brings huge encouragement. And in the time that we're in this place, uh, let's try and encourage each other. Remember, this is Peter. And Peter knew what it was uh, to need encouragement. Peter fell. Peter failed. Uh, Peter was in a a state of despair after uh, he denied Jesus. So he knew what it was to feel down. And he knew the value of the encouragement uh, of God's people. So let's not pass by these verses this morning uh, without taking encouragement for our souls. We're Christian. We're Christian people. uh, We're we're chosen of God. Even if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you're here because God has chosen to put you here. You're here uh, so that he will speak to you. He wants us to hear the message of the gospel. For those who have not yet repented of sin, for those who have not yet come to Jesus, he has chosen to put us in this place so that we'll believe, so that we'll be saved. And for those who are far away, but who are just sitting in these chairs, feeling nothing, God has put us in these chairs to call us to come back close and to receive the encouragement of knowing uh, that God loves us. He wants us to come to him. 
So let's take this encouragement and let's look for every opportunity that we have to encourage each other. When we're in the room, when we leave this room and when we go and get on with our day, rather than sitting down with a phone for an hour, why not take an hour, write a letter, send an email, make a phone call, encourage each other. There's encouragement for God's people in uh, this letter from from Peter. That's the the first thing, verses 9 and 10. And secondly, there's exhortation for God's people. Peter is telling uh, these believers how we're to live. We've got that from verses 11 uh, onwards. Uh, Dear friends, says Peter, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, every coin, we can take a coin in our hand, and every coin has, has two sides, it's got two faces. And we could say that the coin of Christian identity that Peter is working through in this section, uh, it has two sides. And Peter, as he thinks about this from, from God's perspective, uh, he, or God speaks to us through Peter, and he, he says to us that, that we are his chosen people, we are his dear friends, we belong to him, that's our identity. Chosen of God, belonging to God, loved by God. There's the encouragement that flows from that. But then Peter says, as the world looks at God's people, they see aliens and strangers. And as God's people in this world, if we're Christians, we often feel like aliens and strangers. Increasingly in this country, if we're Christians, we we feel as if we are not overly welcome. We sometimes find ourselves in uh, an environment where where we feel we don't belong. We're aliens and strangers, says Peter. I was watching a film that I hadn't watched in 30 years, just a few weeks back, uh, E.T., uh, The Extra uh, Terrestrial. And uh, it's a film about an alien. Most of you have seen it. And uh, he, he gets left, he, she, it, I don't know, gets uh, left behind uh, on planet Earth. And uh, you see this strange little creature trying to get his bearings and wandering around, and he ends up, uh, it ends up, in this kind of dysfunctional family for a while. And whilst E.T. is in that family, E.T. does good within that family. But all the while that he's on planet Earth in this family, the creature knew they didn't belong there. And so E.T. keeps on saying, E.T., go home, want to go home. And that's a picture of us uh, if we're in Christ. Uh, We are in this world, but we're not of it. It's what Jesus prayed for us in John 17. And the believers that Peter wrote to, uh, they were aliens. They had been alienated from their families and their communities. They had been driven out to all these places scattered in in modern-day Turkey. They were alienated uh, socially. They were alienated uh, from a civil perspective. Uh, For Jesus' sake, they were strangers in this world. They belonged uh, to another world. They they had a new family, verse 11. They were were beloved uh, as those who were in Christ. And so Peter says to them, and he says to us, live in such a way as to show that. Now, we can be so desperate at times to fit in. We want people uh, to to not see us as different from them. And Peter's saying, it's not the way to live. You are aliens. You are strangers. So be true to your identity in Christ. He says in verse 12, seek to live good lives. And these good lives are to be lived not apart from non-believers, up on some monastery on some hill. He says, I want you to live good lives, verse 12, among the pagans, so that through our lives they might see something 
of Jesus. So if you're a Christian here today, uh, your calling and mine is to live good lives. We often underestimate uh, the impact of that. Hardly a week passes. You can think even of a, a couple of days ago having a conversation with somebody who says, I'm interested in Christian things. I'd be quite interested in coming to church, but I don't want to come. And I'll tell you why I don't want to come. It's because of the bad lives of Christians that I've experienced in the past. They've done this, they've said that, they've done the next thing. I've had bad experiences. I don't want to be in that place. See, our lives matter. And our calling is to live good lives so that people will see something of Jesus in us and be drawn to him and not repelled from him. So how you live and how I live, it matters. So how can we live good lives? Well, Peter answers that question uh, by saying three things. The first thing he says is submit to authority. The second thing he says is silence your critics by doing good. And the third thing he says is show proper respect to everyone. So first of all, says Peter in verses 13 and 14, uh, submit to authority. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. So how can I show that I'm a, that I'm a, a good disciple? Well, Peter says you can show that you're a, a good disciple. You can live a good life by submitting to authority and that's that's not what we expect i don't think if we were trying to guess what comes next in this letter we would we would have expected peter to say that i think we would have expected something much more spiritual go more to church spend more time in prayer meetings learn some passages of the bible we, we would expect uh, that to to be the the feature the primary feature of a of a good life and, and that undergirds it all but peter says on the outside as people look at your life, submit to authority. And we don't expect to, to hear him say that. We maybe don't like that message that's coming through Peter because we don't really like authority. Ever since I was a little boy, I didn't like to be told what to do and where to go and where not to go. We don't like it. We don't like authority. We, we don't like authority. And sometimes we'll, we'll say authority is cruel. Authority is corrupt. So we don't like to be under it. But think about these Christians in, in modern day Turkey. They knew much more about cruelty and corruption from those who were in authority than, than we ever will. And still Peter says that's, that's the message. He says if you want to live good lives, submit to authority. So if we want to take this to the, the practical level, uh, we, can, we can do this every day. Uh, we can do this as we drive. Not at 95, but at 60 mile an hour. We submit to authority. Even on a dry day, when the road is straight, the temptation is strong. We can respond to this call uh, behind the wheel of a car. Uh, we can do this in the classroom as we submit to the teacher, even when we don't agree with the teacher and sometimes think we know more than the teacher. We can respond to this, this call of Peter. We can do this on the football field. There's a few of the, the boys on the, on the football team in the, in the room today. We might not agree with the referee, we might not like the referee, but uh, whilst we're under his authority, we have to submit. I never liked it. It's part of our calling. We can do that in our homes as we submit to our parents, even when we think that we've um, got much more insight into the matter than they have. It's very practical. It's very uncomfortable. It's very challenging. We don't have to start a charity we don't have to go and do six years in theological college. We don't have to go and be missionaries in another country in order to live good lives. We just have to submit 
to authority for Jesus' sake, remembering that all authority ultimately comes under his sovereign power. So that's the first thing that Peter says. Is there an exception to this? Of course there is. When the authority, when the government asks us to do something that is against God's word, then we submit to God's word and we rebel against authority. But just like Daniel and just like Esther, uh, just like Joseph, we're not living in that day at this time. So until we are, we submit to authority. The second thing Peter says in terms of living a good life is he says, silence your critics by doing good. Verses 15 and 16. He says, for it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, Peter says, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Silence your critics by doing good. There's a, there's a, there's a kind of gritty reality to, to this, this second um, exhortation. Uh, Peter's making clear that even when we try to do good, we will have critics. We're never going to live in a world as Christians where uh, we have the approval of everybody. Even when we do the best thing with the best motivation, uh, there will be those who will criticize us for that. And Peter is saying uh, to them, and he's saying to us, uh, just get used to that. Be realistic about the fact that's what's going to happen. So just take it. There will be those who bark and growl and bite at you. And your temptation, says Peter, is to bark and growl and bite back at them. But he says, if you want to silence the ignorant talk of foolish men, uh, don't roar at them, don't snap at them, don't rant and rave, don't butt heads uh, like two angry rams in a field. Do good. And when you're criticized, just keep on doing good. And then Peter says this strange thing in verse 16. He says, live as free servants of God. There's like a, a paradox in that, in that verse, free servants of God. When we think about freedom, we, we think about not being servants. We think we can only be free if we're not servants. But the truth is, uh, we're all servants of something or we're servants of, of someone. The question is, who are we serving? Uh, think about that Dylan song back in the 70s, I think it was. He says, you've got to serve somebody. Uh, you have to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you have to serve somebody. And we see that in this world. I think probably the, the, the clearest example uh, would, be, would be these phones. And there's a generation uh, who, are, who are servants of social media. Constantly, we're, we're, we're trying to get uh, an approval that either never comes or it never lasts. We're serving these things. They're cruel masters. There's others who, who, who are servants of a, of a particular addiction. They're chasing the next drink or the next hit or the next purchase. But once they get it, there's no satisfaction. The addiction just demands more and more and more. It's a cruel master. And there's still others whose, whose master is, is their work you know, or, or leisure or some sport or hobby. And it's constant. We, we have to have it. And the more we get, the more we need. See, the... The only good master that we can be under is the Lord. That's the point that Peter is making in this, in this verse 16. Uh, the only free servants are, are those who, who serve the Lord. So Peter is saying to us, show people, as they look in on your life, show people how much of a joy it is to serve Jesus. Show people uh, by your actions and your reactions and through your words and your attitudes uh, how good and how kind and how gentle 
a master he is. Are our lives showing that? Do our our faces and our lives and our actions and our reactions, do they communicate to the world uh, that looks in on us uh, that we are under the the, the joyful, uh, loving uh, servitude uh, of, of Jesus? And that's what we're doing good. Not for the approval of the people around us, but for the approval of, of the Lord and Master whom we love and who loves us more than we love him. So Peter, he says, uh, submit to authority, uh, silence your critics by doing good. And the final uh, thing he says in verses 17 and 18 is show proper respect uh, to everyone. Show proper respect, verse 17, to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. <coughs> the whole question of slavery is, a, is a, another sermon for another day. I'm going to package that up and put it to the side. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it afterwards, but I'm not going there uh, today. But Peter is saying here, uh, as he talks about proper respect, he says proper respect is far-reaching. It includes your Christian family. Uh, he says, and not just the the Christian family that we like. In every family, uh, there are people that we connect readily with and there are people that just rub us up the wrong way. And the Christian family is the same. There will be people Mm -hmm. that you connect with. There will be people that you find really easy to love. There will be people who wind you up to the moon and back. And Peter is saying, as as God uh, inspires him to write, uh, show proper respect to everyone. The, the brotherhood of, of believers, everyone in the fellowship. Show proper respect to your king. Now, some people here won't like the king, but the king of our day is probably not as dislikable as the king in that day. And King Nero is just round the corner of the emperor. And Peter is saying, even when the king is somebody uh, that you abhor, you need to show respect. And he says your employers, uh, even the harsh ones, you have to respect them. And in the centre of this section is, the, is the, the key that unlocks the power to be able to do this. And the key is, is our fear of God, our respect for God. That's what enables us to respect everyone who is made in the image of God and who comes under the authority of God. So show proper respect to everyone, says Peter. Proper respect, not just a, a fake respect, not just to those you like also to those that really annoy you, not just to those who treat you fairly, also to those uh, that you're justifiably annoyed at because of their attitudes and their their behavior. And we could say uh, on reflection, uh, as we look at all this, this is is not very spiritual. Submit to authority, silence your critics by doing good, show proper respect to everyone. It's not very spiritual, we could say, but spiritual life is, is worked out in earthy places. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus didn't just go around uh, talking endlessly uh, like a mystic. Jesus didn't just go from pulpit to pulpit uh, talking in spiritual riddles. But wherever Jesus went, whoever he encountered, wherever he was, he he always did good. And he respected everyone. And he reached out to the untouchables. And he humbled himself. And he submitted to those that he was far above in terms of his authority. And yet he submitted to them. And so Peter says to us, uh, don't use all your your energy in in starting a revolution. It's not about overthrowing governments. It's not about social media uh, pressure groups. He says, silence your critics by long, consistent, 
humble good works. He says, live good lives, uh, loving and showing respect to everyone, uh, like Jesus did. So there's the encouragement, there's the exhortation. Very briefly, uh, there's the example for God's people. And uh, in verses 19 uh, to 21, uh, Peter, uh, he holds up Jesus as the supreme example of every teaching that he's underlined. Yes, Jesus is our saviour, but he's also our example. Yes, we we come to him in order to have our, our sins forgiven, in order to be saved. But having come to Jesus, having received uh, the grace that is freely offered, uh, there are good works that are prepared in advance for us to do. Our calling is to live lives which are like him. So he is our example. And Peter says in verse uh, 19, uh, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer, he says, for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And if you think about this, uh, in every exhortation that Peter Uh, gives. Uh, Jesus is the supreme example. He's the name that is above all names. He's the one to whom all authority uh, is given and yet he submitted to authority in this world. He submitted to authority in his home. He submitted to authority in the the joiner's workshop. He submitted to authority in government. Jesus modeled this for us and Jesus had more critics than anyone who ever walked the earth. And yet he silenced them time after time, uh, not with smart comments and not with sharp put-downs, but by continually, consistently doing good. And Jesus was, he was always disrespected. You know, from the cradle to the cross, at the birth of Jesus, he can't even get a room in the hotel. He's disrespected in such a way that uh, he's shoved out into some dirty old barn. And all the way through his life, right to the cross, uh, there's continual disrespect towards Jesus and yet he showed respect always to everyone and he's an example so if we want to see what this looks like in the flesh we just have to track the life and ministry of Jesus and as we look at his life we see him suffer and he suffered unjustly he suffered for doing good and our calling is to be like him and we need to hear that You know, the Christians in in AD 60 in Turkey, they they didn't need much teaching in this area because they experienced suffering for Jesus' sake daily. Now, we don't. But when somebody calls us a bad name or when somebody freezes us out of a a conversation, when we don't get an invitation to something that somebody else got an invitation to and we suspect it's because we're Christians, we get all hot and bothered about that. Uh, We we stress out about it. Uh, we, We think that we're maybe too extreme, we're too zealous, we're, we're, we're drifting off course, we've been unwise. And Peter is saying to us, uh, when you suffer for Jesus' sake, don't think that you're doing something wrong. Don't invite suffering, don't be unwise. But when we suffer because we are Christians, Peter is saying, you're on course. This is part of your calling. So when we get the silent treatment, when we get left behind, when we get frozen out, this is our calling. And if you and I know nothing of that, That's when we know we're off course. The example that we are to follow, the steps that we are to to walk in are the steps of Jesus. And then to finish, uh, Peter, he takes us 
to the cross of Jesus. And he, he reaches out with that evangelistic zeal to those who are reading the letter and who are not yet God's people. And the final thing is there's that entreaty to become one of God's people. And Peter says this in verse 22, uh, look again to Jesus. So can I say that just now to those who are drifting off to sleep, to those who have tuned out 15 minutes ago? Will you wake up, will you take a moment, and will you look again to Jesus? Peter says, verse 22, he, Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Remember, this is Peter that's saying this. And Peter lived with Jesus. He shadowed Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. And he says, I can tell you firsthand, no sin, no deceit ever came from his mouth. He never spoke against somebody behind their back. He never told a lie to get out of trouble. He was the perfect, sinless, spotless son of God. Look at Jesus, says Peter. And he says in verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And again, think of Peter. This is Peter. And think of that day when Peter, in a state of distress, tears in his eyes, having denied Jesus, he's standing at a distance from the cross and he sees Jesus suffer with such grace and such dignity. And on the day that Jesus suffers, as Peter watches at that distance, he cannot understand what's happening. He can't understand why this has to be. But now he can see. And Peter says, He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. The denial, the failures, the bad-tempered outbursts, the desertion of Jesus. As Peter goes back to fishing, all the sin that weighs heavily on Peter as he thinks about the past. And yet Peter is able to say, now I understand. He, Jesus himself, bore my sin in his body on the cross. And the question I want to, to ask is, uh, did he bear your sin? Or are you still bearing them? Remember in, in Pilgrim's Progress, he feels the weight of the sin on his back until he comes to the cross, and then that weight is removed. And that's what Jesus offers. He offers to remove the weight of your sin from you. But it's an offer. You know, you can continue this morning in your sin. You can continue to bear it. And your sin will weigh you down as you journey through time. And then at the end of time, your sin, if you continue to bear it, will push you down into hell. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. You can choose that. You can bear your sin through time into eternity and it will take you to the depths. Or today, you can ask Jesus to bear your sin so that you can know the joy and the freedom of salvation and the promise of a place in heaven. And that's the promise that's given to God's people. Freedom from sin, a place in heaven, eternal, irreversible salvation. And Peter finishes this section by saying, uh, will you not live lives in light of that, Christians? Will you not live good, righteous lives out of love and thankfulness for Jesus? He himself, verse 24, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How do you and I know, I'm finishing now, how do you and I know that we are God's people? 
Some of us wrestle with assurance. How do we know that we are God's people? Well, we know because day by day and hour by hour, we are dying to sin. We're not playing with it, but we're dying to it. We're not free from it, but we're struggling against it. We're living for righteousness. We're pursuing holiness. We know that we are the Lord's people because day by day we are not running from him, closing our Bibles, failing to pray, avoiding church, but we're returning to him and we're remaining in him. That's the evidence of a healed heart. And these are the lives that God's people are called to live. So may God enable us to live these lives for his glory. And I may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore.